Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is match week 30. Eight games to go after this. Coming down the stretch, and what a week of football it was. I am back with my co-host, Ethan. How's it going? And before we get into the, some content this week, we got some, you know, lower division coverage. I am not as nearly as invested in the EFL National League as my colleague Ethan. So Ethan's going to take us through this this top of the table clash we had this weekend that was apparently a lot more exciting than uh, people thought it would be. I don't know if I necessarily say that because going into this, <laughs> this has to be probably one of the most highly anticipated non-league games in history. You have first place Wrexham versus second place Knotts County. Both are on 100 points the first ever meeting between two teams on 100 points in the history but there of are, english there are soccer. more teams there are more teams in the national league so there there's more games so this a centurion season is like a little more common yeah right? it is a little more common yeah. but to have two 100 plus point teams yeah. is absolutely crazy yeah. obviously that would never happen in the prem but uh-huh. in the lower leagues yeah obviously it is possible so both teams fighting for an automatic promotion spot if you don't know there's only one of those in the National League, whereas obviously in the championship, there's two automatic promotion slots. So only first place is definitely getting promotion into the EFL League 2, the actual English Football League. And this pretty much exceeded any, even the highest of expectations. You have John Bostock for opening the scoring for Knotts County in added time of the first half. And then three minutes after halftime, none other than Paul Mullen scoring for Wrexham and equalizing. Then the 69th minute, you have Jacob Mendy giving Wrexham the 2-1 lead. Then in the 75th minute, Kyle Cameron equalizing for Knotts County. And then again, just three minutes later, Elliot Lee giving Wrexham the 3-2 lead. And then in 90 plus six, Knotts County earn a penalty kick. Against none other than Ben Foster, who the cycling came, goalkeeper, the cycling GK, came out of retirement to play for Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney's Wrexham, and he saves the penalty in the last minute of stoppage time. Wrexham wins three to two. They now have a three-point lead at the top of the table with a game at hand, almost definitely securing them automatic promotion, barring a major slip-up. How but many games are left game. in the season? There's four games left in the season. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. I mean, only three. I think. What's it I think Ben Foster started his season at Wrexham, or his not a season, his career. Did he? I have no I, idea. I think he he may have like started his career at Wrexham, which is why he was inclined to go back. I'm not. I'm not. Don't like quote me on that, but I think I heard that somewhere. But still, absolutely insane that you know Ben Foster, the the GoPro man from YouTube, steps up and saves a penalty and. The biggest moment, one of the biggest moments, well, because the biggest moment in Wrexham's history, because it's a hundred thousand year old club, yeah. so they probably had a couple in there somewhere, no, but uh, certainly recent Arsenal history. Gotta be over that, but still, <laughs> um, way up there. Yeah. I mean, for the National League, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, did they get that game in the states? Was it on television? Um, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, ESPN didn't pick that up. I know yeah. they pick up some of the, the FA Cup games. Uh, National League might be a little bit outside their domain. I mean, if you wanted to allow like 88 viruses onto your laptop, <laughs> I'm sure you could have managed <laughs> to get it in, in the U.S., but wasn't hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, you know? 
I should have risked it. It would have been worth it. I didn't realize it was going to be this good of a game. There are some hot singles in your area. And you would have no idea. Ugh. Anyways, we got some Match Week 30 coverage to cover this week, starting off with the Worst Team Wins update. If you're unfamiliar with the Worst Team Wins competition, it's a competition between me and Ethan, where preseason, we drafted teams snake, snake draft style. Uh, from FPL, every player in FPL has a, a dollar amount assigned to them. Um, and you have to fill up an 80 pounds worth. We each have to fill up 80 pounds worth of an 11. But instead of having the best team, we tried to have the worst team throughout the course of the season. So we were trying to draft busts, if you will. Uh, Ethan, give us the update. Yeah. So if you listened last week, you'll remember there was not an update last week since it was a weird, like, you know, match week midweek games yeah Yeah, so we're combining the last two weeks and brayden won both of them (laughs) believe it or not uh hell yeah match week 29 at least yeah match week 29 at least according to fpl the actual match weeks i feel like we never really know what's quite (laughs) what we're quite on but match week 29 in fpl my team, Garnacho Cheese, had 47 points, while Braden's managed an impressive 34. So a 13-point uh, win in that match week. And then this previous week, match week 30, my team had 38 points and Braden 29. So Despite an Erling Holland hat trick. Brace. <laughs> brace, brace, brace. Yes, yeah, of course. I just assume it's a hat trick every time. <laughs> my apologies. Uh, but yeah, what I pick up 22 points over the course of two weeks. All right. Yeah. Again, a step in the right <laughs> direction. We're going to need to pick up the pace a little bit more because there's only eight games left. That being said, I'm okay with this. Yeah. So that brings the season total for my team to 928 points and congratulations to Braden because he broke the thousand point mark. <laughs> 1,051 I always knew I could Braden. do it. Um, <laughs> Just to give you a scale of how much I'm leading by, this is probably the most points Brains ever made up on me this entire season. And even if he made up that many points per week at that rate, he still wouldn't beat me. So Sounds like it's going to make for an awesome documentary <laughs> after the season. I'm going to clip this out and put it in there. Amazon anyway. will buy the rights immediately <laughs> if you end up pulling this off. Anyways, we got some matches to cover this week. Just two of them this week, two pretty spectacular ones for different reasons. Um, starting off with Tottenham Hotspur 2, Brighton and Hove Albion 1. Starting off in the 10th minute, uh, the Brighton defense treats Hyungman Son like 2023 Hyungman Son instead of 2021-2022 Hyungman Son. <laughs> and 2022-2023 Hyungman Son turns around and picks out the top corner from 25 yards like he's 2021-2022 Hyungman Son. One nothing Spurs. Then in the thirty fourth minute, after a Karumatoma half handball <laughs> that we'll get to later, uh, disallows an equalizer. They eventually do get the equalizer through Lewis Dunk on the end of a Brighton corner kick. A deserved equalizer after a good spell of Brighton possession. Yada yada yada. We'll get to the yada 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 afterwards, but there was a lot of yada 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 <laughs> in between. Uh and then in the 79th minute, uh, after being on the ropes for a very long period of time, surviving multiple VAR checks for goals and penalties alike, Kane calmly dispatches a cutback pass from Hoybier into the side netting for the winner. A very nice finish at that. Yeah. Should not discount that finish because it wasn't a very nice finish. But that's the way it would end. 2-1. Just about as undeserving of three points as you can pick up in the Premier League. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of shit went down during the yada yada yada. Of course. <laughs> um, just honestly, in terms of drama, this is a pretty average Spurs game. <laughs> I feel like every week it's just pure chaos. I mean, there were two sending offs this week, and that was no more sending offs than the number in, of red cards in the Spurs game last week. So yeah. <laughs> obviously, this time it was both managers for. A, a scuffle that I still don't completely understand <laughs> to this yeah. point. I'm not. I think what well, was the the Welbeck disallowed goal that prompted everything. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, I I had Welbeck on my uh in my goal picks this week, so <laughs> I was. I don't un- think it was, was angry goal. too. Wasn't I think it came Welbeck's off McAllister. Or is that what? Uh, yeah, yeah. What got disallowed? Because I know yeah. it was originally Welbeck's goal. So yeah. Either way, and then of course you had the Karumatoma penalty shout, which VAR decided to leave alone at that time, and the PGMOL made yet another apology. They are the Erling Holland of <laughs> of apologies <laughs> this season. But yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that one, um, I, like it was it was quick too. The thing with the PGMOL apologies is like no more than a couple hours after the game, they knew they fucked up. Which makes me believe that, like, they, they're, they like, writing it as, like, as instead of checking the VAR, they're like, we know we're going to get this wrong. Just leave it alone. I'm going to write an apology. Uh, and then we'll release it two hours after the game. Like, what's the difference? Like, if, if they released it, like, midweek and they were, like, after reviewing it and sending it through um, all, you know, the officiating body and some of the higher ups. We would like to issue an apology to Brighton Hove Outman. Sure. But like th- a couple hours after the game, they were like, ooh, we didn't see that angle. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, it's just, it's a joke. And like, it's actually a joke. Like, th- I mean, at this point, I-, I shouldn't be surprised, but it's actually an effing joke. And that one was was a penalty. And I don't know if you're listening to the commentary of that game, but the guy in the booth was, was, uh, was pretty adamant that it was it was oh, a yeah. penalty. No, the commentary was. Uh, I was listening to that game. The commentary was pissed at literally everything, every single referee yeah. decision about that entire game. He was just fed up because <laughs> by that point they had butchered uh, yeah. the couple. <laughs> yeah, uh, but in terms of how the game went, yes, Brighton probably deserved at least a point. Probably deserved maybe some more. Uh, Spurs escaping with three points, nothing short of. Fortunate, I should say. But that being said, when you guys ha- you have guys like Harry Kane in your team, that that could have been very well somebody else, Richarlison or something, uh, and he wouldn't have put it away. Um, so the fact that you got ha- guys like Harry Kane in your team means you're always in it, no matter how much you're getting slapped around. And they do it again, and this is very Conte like for a team without Conte. Um, so I don't know what to exactly to make of that, but yeah, Kane's on twenty three. Poor Holland getting snuck up on a little bit at, at 30 um but yeah i mean he's he's literally the only one keeping this team afloat if he if he rolls his ankle or something you can kiss top four goodbye yeah seriously harry can't and obviously we're both arsenal fans but you just have yeah. to give this guy credit and honestly i feel like we give kane more credit than a lot of spurs fans do. these these spurs fans like obviously 
they love Kane and they absolutely idolize him, but he should be like a demigod yeah. to them. You know how like yeah. when Messi goes back to like Argentina after a World Cup and they're like doing like the hail thing, like yeah, 60,000 yeah, yeah. people in the yeah. stadium. That's what they should be doing for Kane because this team would be 12th without him. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really would. Literally, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, you know, we want to see what their team would be. It, without Kane, look at Chelsea. That's what they would be. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> you put Kane in that Chelsea they're, team, they're, and Chelsea is fighting for top four. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're fighting for top four, literally. And then Spurs are down there, like getting XG and not scoring because they don't have a goal scorer. Like, they're they're literally polar opposites uh. from each other. Chelsea and Tottenham. Tottenham have like nothing but a goal scorer, and Chelsea have like talent everywhere but no goal scorer. So if you like make a love child of both of these teams, you'd have a pretty good Premier League eleven. Yeah. Um. And then just again, this overall Tottenham performance, I feel like by now we can pretty much say that Tottenham's identity is no identity. It's it's been going on <laughs> since November, where again every game is just chaos. There's no there's yeah. no real like tactical identity. You don't know where. A goal that is, is gonna, the identity. Exactly. You don't know <laughs> how a goal is going to come, except for the fact that it's probably coming through Harry Kane. You have no idea yeah. what sort of flow the game is going to have. They very rarely have any sort of pattern or trajectory. It's For a neutral, it's fun to watch, honestly. <laughs> anyway, yes. Another, <clears throat> another week. Another crazy Tottenham Hotspur game. I'm sure next week we'll have another one to, to bring you. Um... But with that, we'll move on to the second game, second feature game this week. It's a game that I'm sure everybody was geeing up for, Arsenal-Liverpool. It's a, No matter how good, bad, ugly, amazing either of these teams are, it just seems like these games always bring some kind of action. It's never a nil-nil, is it? Uh, Arsenal-Liverpool. Uh, and this time it was Arsenal, or Liverpool 2, Arsenal 2, starting off in the eighth minute. An Odegaard pass into Saka is re- redirected by Virgil van Disney, as he would become the call <laughs> uh, Twitter after this game, uh, straight into the path of Gabriel Martinelli in a dead sprint who wiggles his way through a few challenges and manages to poke the ball past Allison to open the scoring. Unsure if Robertson got a toe on this, but I think it was Martinelli that got the last say. Uh, another very, very early Martinelli goal in this tie. In the 28th minute, a quick <clears throat> a quick back-to-front Arsenal move sees Martinelli 1v1 on the left wing, cutting on to his left, playing a beautiful ball in to Gabriel Jesus, who rises on Easter to head the ball in for 2-0. I, coincidence? I think not. No, it was it was storybook uh, <laughs> goal for Jesus. It just had to happen. Every football Twitter account had the meme ready. Uh, it it was just it had to happen. It was this. Have you seen the Gary Neville meme? Like this was the banker. Like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like, it was the banker. Uh, Xhaka gets into a needless scuffle with uh with Trent who is just always one for a needless scuffle. Um, and the two hotheads go at it, crowd forms, and just like that, a Anfield crowd that was dead and buried at 2-0 is now riled up and looking for a comeback. A couple minutes later, a very, very good spell Liverpool play coming from this, this re-energized team. Uh, finds Robertson alone on the end line, cuts the ball back into Henderson, who gets just enough of a toe on it 
to direct it towards an open Salah at the far post, whether it was intentional or not, unsure, but it was a very good pass nonetheless. Yeah. And Salah had the open net to find for 2-1. As that was, and that was the way it would go into halftime. Uh, the best time to get a goal if you're a Liverpool vet, if you're a Liverpool team at Anfield is right before halftime, especially when you're down two. And then after a second half that was a lot of Liverpool. I'm not going to say all Liverpool, but it was a lot of Liverpool. Uh, mostly Liverpool. Majority Liverpool. Uh, in the dying embers of said half, Trent silences all his critics who had been very loud to this point after getting skinned by Martinelli on multiple occasions. Uh, with a nutmeg of Zinchenko serving the ball back post where Firmino was there to nod it in for a deserved equalizer. And that's the way it would finish 2-2. Not before a couple of miraculous, and I mean that by every stretch of the word, miraculous Aaron Ramsdale saves to keep it 2-2. Arsenal deserve to win, deserve to tie, and deserve to lose (laughs) in the span of 90 minutes. What do we make of it? I'm still trying to figure out what to make of that game. Um, one of the games of the season, without a doubt. Uh, it. I think the main takeaway from this game is just how much... I mean, everybody knows how important Anfield is for this Liverpool side, but I don't think it's ever been demonstrated more in a singular match than this one. Because if you look at the first 30 minutes, obviously Arsenal started off the game really well. Obviously, I mean, Marinelli scoring the eighth minute, but even leading up to that, it was really Arsenal dominating the possession. And in yeah. those first, in that first half hour, Anfield, I'm not going to say was silent. I mean, they're never silent, but they were relatively quiet and they really weren't putting any pressure on Arsenal. And Arsenal were just playing their game. They were just completely outplaying Liverpool and Anfield wasn't really a factor. And that's why they were up two goals. And then once Salah got that equalizer, the momentum completely shifted. It got behind Liverpool, the entire stadium was behind Liverpool, and all of a sudden the pressure was coming down on Arsenal. An Arsenal team who just looked so far superior, two, three notches above Liverpool, all of a sudden they were less confident, they were less willing to play out of the back. Liverpool had so much more energy, they were just running at them full steam ahead. And that's that's the Anfield effect, and Arsenal were good to put that effect off for the first half hour of the game and give themselves a lead. But after that, it was, like you said, pretty much all Liverpool. I mean, in terms of expected goals, Liverpool had over four, Yeah, I think. Salah had... Including the penalty, yeah. Yeah, including the penalty. I mean, Salah's second consecutive missed penalty. You know, they're really collector's items, and Arsenal were very lucky to make it to that Firmino goal without having let in an equalizer by that point. And like you said, these two Ramsdale saves in the in stoppage time. The one on Salah after the deflection. Yeah. Just beautiful fingertip save. And I mean the one on Kanate. I I turned away. I thought the wasn't the net. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God. I was I, watching I at was, a bar of like eighty people and I, I, I just thought the ball was in the net. I swear to God. I was just kind of in shock and then even then after all of that you gotta be thinking well arsenal are really lucky they come away with just a point and then after the the save on Kanate, they come down the other way it's a 3v1 counterattack, and marinelli if he oh yeah takes off a little juice on that pass to saka arsenal may take all three points so that would have been the end, yeah one of the all-time premier league moments 
come the end of the yeah. season potentially. That if that pass of Martinelli hits Saka and Saka, the uh, you know maybe consensus Arsenal player of the season, drills it to win at Anfield for the first time since fucking Thomas Vermeil and Mikel Arteta days, <laughs> and they go on to win the title with those points. Like that's that's all time Premier League moment. Like you you'll watch that back for for decades as an Arsenal fan. But nonetheless, Martinelli picks out Allison from 50 yards and 2-2 two, two is the final. Yeah. So personally, I'm not too I'm not too disappointed with the draw in terms of how the game went. If if you look at the just chances as a whole, Liverpool definitely should have had at least three or four. Arsenal mm-hmm. probably in around three, I'd say is a fair number, but you take what you get going into this game. I think a lot of Arsenal fans will have been fairly happy with the 2-2 draw. This is what I predicted from the game. I said 2-0 Liverpool, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, just insane game. I think it's just one that you can't really get too yeah. disappointed over. You kind of just have to move on. You kind of knew that this could be where there would be a bump in the road and Mm -hmm. that's kind of just why you build up this five point gap. Now Arsenal probably need to get something at the Etihad and that's really the big effect of this game is that Arsenal pretty much cannot lose at the Etihad if they want to win this title. Uh, And I mean, that's the way it should be, right? Uh, (laughs) They, if they're going like, you know, head to head with a team for an entire season, and they lose both games, uh, maybe you're not so deserving of the title. So if if it comes down to it and they have to go and get points at the Etihad, that's the way I guess it should be. As an Arsenal fan, would I give a single shit if they lost both times to City and won the title? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't care if they lose every game to a big six team 6-0 and still win the title. It does not matter to me. However, from a neutral point of view, it's it would be nice to, to have Arsenal need to go and get something from the Etihad from, from a neutral point of view. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I one more thing about about Arsenal's performance. I I was a little frustrated with how, st- and I I kind of I, I it fully. I mean, I always knew that obviously uh, Anfield just a very tough place to play because the atmosphere. But it it they were so standoffish because of it. Like the midfield was allowing Henderson and Fabinho and Curtis Jones. Like this is not this is not. De Bruyne, Silva, Gunduan, Rodri. Like this is not a a midfield that's going to like absolutely certainly not this season. Maybe during their their you know prime you know COVID year, but this season you're allowed to to press up on Jordan Henderson and he's not going to spin you in the midfield. And the way Xhaka, I mean, Party was brilliant again, but the way Xhaka defended and uh, holding, they just like were very standoffish. They were very content with allowing Liverpool to move the ball to the wings and whip the ball into the box giving away corner kicks, which probably contributed a lot to, to the XG tally. But, oh, by the way, uh, Gabriel, center-back Gabriel, had a free header to put the, to put the game away in yes. the 85th. Oh, yeah. Um, that. And that's that's a center-back's dream header off a of corner. Was, uh, mm-hmm. Like, you gotta, you got to put that away, son. Like <laughs> He's been very good off corners yeah. this season. That would have been yeah. his, like, seventh goal of the year. Like, what, fifth goal of the year, maybe? Like, he, he, has, like, he has a lot of goals this year. I don't know. Or maybe of his Arsenal career, which is still a lot for a center-back, mm-hmm. but... yeah. Um, 
yeah, that that's besides the point though. It's just like they 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 allowed the pressure. They it was, and I I'd imagine because they they don't normally defend like this. They're very aggressive in the midfield. Like they need mm-hmm. to win the ball back. That's the way Arteta likes to play it. But I guess it had to have been this atmosphere, this big game, bright lights thing, where they just were content with just sitting back, playing a lot more compact, letting them play the ball around, which allowed for them to basically have the entire second half to claw this game back and. Eventually, the the pressure cracked in the eighty seventh. Poor time for it to crack after Odegaard comes out. I honestly think that the tyranny substitution, which turned out to be a very big deal, because let's be honest, Inchenko's not the best defender, and he was the one that got skinned for the equalizer. Um, that tyranny substitution usually comes much earlier. I'm not entirely sure why Zinchenko got eighty eight minutes in a game where they were defending a two one lead for forty five minutes. Uh, that that one's a little. I Tierney should have seen the field in the seventy fifth at the latest, and he usually does. He usually comes in much earlier, but that I think Tierney was up and ready to substitute when when that the Firmino goal went in. So maybe yeah. just bad timing. But Tierney definitely. I think that that not going to say the the losses on Arteta, but the, mm. that Tierney substitution should have come much earlier because he is far and away. They are like polar opposites when it comes to left back. One is very defensive, not so great going forward, and the other one is like a cornerstone of of the of the midfield even because he slides yeah. into the midfield um and is not so great defensively so i am all for zinchenko starting every single game for arsenal for the for years to come however he does need that defensive counterpart as a substitute which we've seen a lot and he needs to come in in a game like this where you need to lock it the fuck down i'm surprised he didn't come in in the 65th if he if he subbed out in the 60th minute i would have been like that's a little early but i get it like i don't know but it, Arteta's made, I, I can count on the fingers of one hand how many mistakes he's made this season, so so be it. Um, all to play for, from a neutral point of view. This is certainly the, the yep. result you wanted. Um, and with that, we will finish out our Match Week 30 coverage with some, some around the grounds, shall we? Starting off with Manchester United 2, Everton 0. Who else but Scott McTominay on the score sheet? Scott McTominay and Anthony Martial. What is this, 2019-20? <laughs> this is Scott- some real lockdown vibes. <laughs> uh, Scott McTominay in the 36th, Anthony Martial in the 71st, sees a 29-shot Manchester United performance at Old Trafford, uh, collect all three points. This is, I, I mean, if I had to guess the, the scoreline of this game, I probably would have said 2-0 United, just like Everton are not in fantastic form. Would have packed it in. United at Old Trafford are a different beast. It, uh, it'd be tough for me to see them stumbling. Um, even they're not in fantastic form without Casemiro, but again, it would have been tough to see him stumbling. Very nice performance. But they do have to be worried about the uh, Rashford injury because that he did, you know, pull yes. up. Yes. So I, um, I'm not entirely sure if they've if they've made like a statement about. Yeah. It, it's a growing one is, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if United fans would make that trade because they do get Casemiro back next game, but they might be without Rashford. Uh, is that a trade you're willing to make? Maybe. I think, uh, I mean, off of, you know, prime Ronaldo form, you probably make that trade <laughs> for Rashford for Casemiro, but obviously you'd like to have both of them. Um, Aston Villa 2, Nottingham Forest, nail Aston Villa, who were at one point in the 11,000 team relegation battle, now sits sixth after a fantastic run of form, Unai Emery, has reinvigorated this team after Gerrard's departure, and now they are sitting sixth in prime position to secure a European place next season, whether it be in Europa League, Europa Conference League, 
or maybe Champions League. I don't know. What are they like? Yeah, maybe not Champions League. <laughs> They're nine points down in Man United's game in hand. But crazier things have happened. So I don't Man United maybe might have just lost Rasper. So I, I would I say they're gonna make Champions League? Probably not. But they are definitely in contention for Europa League, sitting on a point above Brighton, who have two games at hand. Liverpool up three with uh having played one less game. So certainly all to play for in that race. Brentford one, Newcastle two. Another interesting development in both the top four race and the top seven race. Uh, Newcastle collect all three, meaning they sit third still, uh, tied with Man- Manchester United on points and games played. Tottenham sitting fifth, three points down, having played one more game. So Tottenham very much on the outside looking in. Uh, God knows what where they would be sitting right now if they if that Tottenham Brighton game ended up playing out the way it most likely should have in a thousand game simulations. Um, but they are fortunate enough to only be sitting down. Uh, sitting three points down, having played one more game. But good win for Newcastle. For Brentford, probably would have liked to pick up points if now they're sitting ninth just above Fulham and Chelsea. So if they're looking for a European spot, they're probably going to need to start picking up points. But Brentford have been pretty strong all season, and I expect them to rebound at some point. Fulham nil, West Ham won. That is a second loss for Fulham in a row, which is very rare this season for Fulham. Um, To, I believe... (laughs) some porous poor opponents uh yeah Bournemouth last last week and then uh Fulham this week so a <laughs> little bit of a charity case run for uh for Fulham just giving out points to the the bottom six um West Ham see themselves jump out of the bottom six however uh they sit on 14 tied with Bournemouth in 15th um having played one less game Wolves won Chelsea nil I, we didn't even include this again in the uh, in the future games because Chelsea losses are again not really much to talk about. Uh, it is it it, it meant, it's worth mentioning that this was uh, Frank Lampard's first game in charge of Chelsea, and hey, maybe it wasn't a Grand Potter because they looked like the exact same team. <laughs> uh, we will say that the uh, Mateus oh Nunez goal was out of this world. Maybe the goal of the year. This was mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like yeah, the you're cleanest not see strike a you'll ever better see. Better volley than that in the Prem this season. And honestly, I'm trying to think back to a better goal I've seen this season. I really can't. I mean, you're not going to hit the ball better than that. I mean, <laughs> maybe we might get to an Erling Holland one in about 30 seconds. That, that might be up there. But um, yeah, Chelsea drop points again, all three of them, in fact. Uh, they sit 11th, six points above Crystal Palace in 12th. So there are a couple they could fuck around and join the, the the fucking relegation battle. Who knows at this point? Uh Leicester City nil Bournemouth one. Two wins on the spin for Bournemouth, who see themselves rocket out of this bottom three. Now sitting fifteenth, like I said before. Uh thirty games played, thirty points. Bottom three. We'll get to the bottom three after I finish the match week, but the bottom three distancing themselves a little bit from Bournemouth after those two wins. Uh, Leicester City, first game after sacking Brendan Rodgers. Second game after sacking Brendan Rodgers. First game? First game after sacking Brendan Rodgers. Um, again, see their form continue. No real new manager bounce there. They were about to sign Jesse Marsh, but I think that fell through. I think they may... Yeah, I saw a couple of days ago that they were in like contacts or something, but... I saw something uh, about Dean Smith for them. Yes, that, that. that did happen. Um, Dean Smith is... 
going to be appointed as like interim manager. I like that. I actually like that a lot. I think he's going to do a really good job. I like Dean Smith. Um, he was the whole reason Acevilla got promoted and we're so good their first season. So I like Dean Smith and I think you do wonders with this Leicester City team that definitely has the talent. So we're definitely optimistic for Leicester after this game. Southampton won, Man City four. What else did you really expect from a game like this? <laughs> Holland at the double, then Grealish and Alvarez with the penalty. Um, 73% possession, eight shots on goal. Erling Holland, brace, one of them, uh, free header, the other one, spectacular. I mean, what more can you say? So City hold their serve. Liverpool, obviously, drawing, dropping two. City pick up two in the title race. Now, six points back with a game at hand. If they win that game at hand, it'll be just down to three. And the title race will well and truly be on if it wasn't already. Moving on to our final game of the match week. Leeds United won. Crystal Palace, five. Roy Hodgson has this team absolutely flying, eagle pun intended, um, away from home <laughs> against Leeds United. is Ellen Road is not an easy place to play. And they went there and smacked them. Absolutely smacked them. They went down one nothing, and then scored four, five unanswered, not four, five unanswered, um, to take home all three points. Uh, what more can you say? New manager bounce at its finest. Yeah, when Jordan Ayew scoring two goals in the game, you know you have your team absolutely just flying. Jordan Ayew was moping through the season. Then he heard where Hodgson was back in town, and he's like, "My number's getting called." <laughs> Gotta step up for my boy. <laughs> Anyways, that will round out our Match Week 30 coverage. Moving on to some Match Week 31 coverage, starting off with the goal picks. If you're unfamiliar with our goal picks competition, it is a season-long competition between me and Ethan. Another season-long competition between me and Ethan. Hopefully you can keep track of all these season-long competitions between me and Ethan. There's two of them. <laughs> um... This one consists of me and Ethan looking forward into the next match week, picking out three players each that we think are going to score, and having three blocks in our back pocket for the other person. If I say my three players, the three players I think are going to score in the upcoming match week, and they match up with any one of Ethan's blocks, or two or three, haven't had a three yet, but we certainly had a couple twos, <laughs> um, then Ethan gets to choose those two players, or one player, or three players for me instead of the ones that I wanted. And vice versa. Give us the update, Ethan. Yeah, so a pretty shambolic showing from both of us. <laughs> With midweek games, neither of us it managed happens. a goal. Um, you had two of your players blocked. Yeah, okay. So the players were Solanke, Welbeck, Havertz, Felix, Armstrong, and Huang Hee Chan. Okay, we've definitely had the better talent there, but <laughs> I don't yeah. think expected. <laughs> When Daniel Welbeck is the most likely to score of all six <laughs> goal picks, I think it's going to be a dry week. We're, we're in the mud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the worst part is if somebody tried to pick out which team had the two blocks, I'm not sure they they, they would do it. <laughs> yeah. Not not my strongest uh, three picks, uh, but no goals from those three. My, mine were Solange Welbeck Havertz. His, uh, his only pick that he did get was Yao Felix. And then. I gave him Armstrong and Huang Chan. No goals from any of them. So the season tally stays at 27 goals for me and 20 for Brayden. A fairly 
respectable deficit, but something that, you know, he could make up. Eight, sure. probably eight match weeks left. Uh, it's gonna the documentary's gonna go crazy <laughs> with both comebacks at the same time. And then the last week I overtake you in both. On on Championship Sunday, with the last <laughs> kick of the game, it's gonna be Leandro Trossard. <laughs> All right. <Who> else? Well <laughs> I'm calling my shot. You can block it last week if you're a bitch. You can uh, have it anyway. last week. <laughs> <laughs> you got some picks for me. I do indeed. So, with my first pick, probably the most risky of the bunch, I'm going with Gabriel Jesus. Three goals in his last two games. Uh, Tasty matchup with West Ham this week. Feel like you've... Good chance you blocked an Arsenal player this week, so it's a bit of Russian roulette. So, I've just gone with Jesus. Could have gone with Martinelli, Saka, all of them. Likely the score, I'd say, but I'm... Going with Arsenal's number nine. At number two, I've gone with Alexis McAllister. Um, he's been pretty decent scoring form for Brighton this season. Brighton's goals have been pretty spread out between him, Matoma, uh, you know, Kylian Mbappe, Regen, uh, Evan Ferguson, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of hard to pick who's going to score any given week, but hopefully this week. McAllister will get his goal. And at number three, I'm going for Riyad Mahrez. Uh, Man City have a pretty nice matchup with Leicester City. Definitely could be goals on the table for them. Uh, Mahrez did get the start last week. Hopefully, he'll get the start this week. I'm not sure what Foden's timetable is injury-wise. Um, mm. But I'm expecting Mahrez to uh, keep his place for at least another week. So. Those are my three picks. Who can I have? You can have all three. Nice. Nice. Uh, I did block an Arsenal player. I blocked Bukayo Saka. Yeah. Usually the, the safest bet when it comes to blocks, mm-hmm. but you got one past me. Congratulations. All right. Yeah, the other ones were Tony and Ollie Watkins. Nice. Standard stuff. Anyway. For my picks this week. First off, I got Harry Kane. You may have heard of him. Solid goal scorer. <laughs> Hoping you didn't block him. No reason why you wouldn't block him other than pure chance. <laughs> um, but gotta take a shot. Yeah. Down seven goals. Gotta take a shot. <laughs> the Remonta is not gonna happen uh, with second uh, one, Dominic Solanke. <laughs> second one is Olize of Crystal Palace. Uh, back in the Hodgson boys, they've been firing recently and he's been at the forefront of it it was him or Zaha and Zaha has not been scoring goals so maybe I should have gone with Jordan Ayew <laughs> but I went with Elise who seems like a safer bet but now that I'm thinking about it maybe I should have gone with Jordan Ayew um, I will stick with Elise however um, hoping he gets one back to back and then for my final pick I've gone with Alexander Izak who is one of the most on form strikers in the league currently um, very good chance he blocked him I guess we're about to find out. You can have two players. Uh, I block. I block okay. Kane. <laughs> All right, that's fair. I, I can't even get up. You got. You got to be bold. I get it. Um, Elise and Isaac. Yeah. All right. I was thinking about Isaac, but honestly, Gotta like, in in terms of like starts, like Isaac and Callum Wilson, like I don't even know who's starting. 
right now. Honestly, it doesn't yeah, seem to matter because I feel like both of them are true. pretty much scoring every week. They, so. they both <laughs> score every game. <laughs> um, all right. And now for some match week 31 predictions. Usually we go with a couple games, a couple feature games, a couple score predictions. This week, we're going back to some content that has brought some, some, pretty, good, some pretty good content. I'm not going to lie. Some bold predictions. We got one bold prediction for the upcoming match week. And the last two times, I think I got both of mine almost damn perfect. You got yours almost damn perfect as well, if I remember correctly. So maybe we're just <laughs> oracles of this sport. Um, we're about to find out. Ethan, what is your bold prediction for Match Week 31? So my bold prediction is that Manchester City beat Leicester. Yes, I know. Very bold. Wow. <laughs> I know. Uh, but actually, I have this one being a very, very tight encounter. Manchester City won Leicester no, Manchester City 2, Leicester City 1. Which, I feel like, if based off of form, that's pretty bold. Because Leicester, sure. right now, are, I mean, they're second to at bottom the at the Etihad. Manchester City look to be in just pure, you know, end-of-season run-in form where they just steamroll absolutely everybody. Most people wouldn't expect Leicester to get within 2-3 goals of City this game. But... Just when you think you figured the prem out, it always throws you a curveball. So I think Man City will struggle in this game, uh, especially second half. I think they'll probably like dominate first half, take the lead somewhere in around 20, 30 minute mark. And then 10, 15 minutes after halftime, Leicester will get an equalizer and then Leicester are just going to sit back. Again, I like the fact that... Um, They've hired Dean Smith as an interim manager. I think that's going to give them a bit of a bounce. Mm. Along with John Terry and Craig Shakespeare. Look at that throwback. Bringing back Craig Shakespeare <laughs> from the post-Renieri era. I, I thought he was I thought he was still there, to be <laughs> honest. I, I didn't realize he left. Yeah, so I think we're going to see a Shakespearean-level drama at the Etihad. Mm. Uh, I'm predicting well in... Thank you. <laughs> I'm predicting an Ilkay Gundogan winner in between the 75th and 85th minute. Uh, a very frantic second half that will see Man City get all three points in the end. Late Gundogan winner is just boring, isn't it? Yeah, this is really late Gundogan uh, winner, Man City win. Like, I don't even know why this is a bold prediction. <laughs> Anyways, uh, my bold prediction for this week, uh, we'll see. Leeds United, who just got battered 5-1 by Crystal Palace at Ellen Road, return back to Ellen Road and beat Liverpool at home. Because why? Because the Liverpool theory, the Darwin theory, what is it? The, the Charles Darwin theory of Liverpool. <laughs> Every Liverpool positive action must have an equal and opposite negative reaction. They had a very, very good performance at home against Arsenal, which should have seen them get three points. An equal and opposite negative reaction. They will go to Leeds United and at least drop points. I am predicting a loss. Mm-hmm. Should I just go for basic? Sorencio Somerville <laughs> will get the winner again. <laughs> he did it at Anfield. He'll do it again. Um, and that's it. Leeds United right. will win because it it it's the laws of physics. I I can I. This is not me. I'm just <laughs> telling you what's going to happen. And with that, we'll move into our closing segment. It's a closing segment. It's a bit of a throwback. If you're a long-time two-man wall listener, and by long-time, I mean a couple <laughs> months back, we used to do a segment on this podcast called The Relevant Elevens, where we made full, 
football-style 11s out of things that were not meant to be 11s. And this week, in honor of the horrible run of form from Premier League referees, we have decided to honor them with a Premier League referees 11. Ethan has one and I have one. Let's get into it. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Uh, You can go first on this one. All right. I will go first. <clears throat> My Premier, not, not necessarily Premier League referees. It's all referees all time. Just referees 11. Starting off in goal with none other than Stuart Atwell. He is this season specifically very low on fouls and very low on pens per game. Let's him play very defensive. Mm-hmm. Hands off. That's what you want from a keeper. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you want him shouting and pointing, but like you don't want him going out being aggressive and stuff like that. You know, tripping, sliding, all that stuff coming out, being too aggressive, gets caught out. One passive. And that's the way Stuart Atwell is. All right. Whether he's good or bad, controversial, but they're all bad. All the referees are bad. But this one specifically, just, you know. Anyways, moving on to right back. Now, right back, I have John Moss because right back, <clears throat> traditionally, maybe not the highest level of the game, but um, certainly at the high school level, is where you stick the worst player. <laughs> and John Moss is. Widely considered to be one of the worst <laughs> <laughs> referees in the Premier League. Uh, the bottom of the barrel. And that's why I'm sticking him right back. Because this is, is that if you, like Ethan knows, at the lowest level of the game, if you've got to get somebody playing time, you stick yep. him right back. Simple as that. Um, why not left back? Because on the left, it's often hard to sometimes play <laughs> with your left foot. On the right, yeah. <laughs> ever, almost everybody's a righty. You can, you, it's a little bit easier for those weaker players. So you're sticking my right back. And at left back, a player, uh, a player, a player maybe in this team, but not a player, uh, a referee that um, has fallen asleep <laughs> at the back post, should I say. <laughs> um, his name is Lee Mason, <laughs> and he forgot to draw the line in the Arsenal-Bradford game, which would have led to a <clears throat> disallowed Bradford equalizer. Um, so... Falls asleep in the VAR booth, falls asleep at the back post, defending the wingers. You know, you can make that connection. Yeah. That's why I put him at left back. I feel like he, he would be most suited for left back. <clears throat> and now for our two center backs, starting off with Anthony Taylor. A strong, firm, but calm refereeing style. Rarely loses his temper. He's given out the most reds this season, so he's aggressive. But he's very calm. He rarely, you, whenever he gives a call... You always see like a shrug of the shoulders. Players will come up to him like this, like, oh my God. <laughs> Nothing. Just shrugs his shoulders. He's like, I saw what I saw. And has he made some horrible calls? Sure, they all have. But I respect how he referees the game. And he's, he's, he's definitely a calmer one, should I say. And my second center back, I'm going to butcher this name. Simon Marciniak <laughs> is probably not how you say it in Polish. But he was the referee for the World Cup final in 2022, a very well-respected international referee, very experienced on the international stage at the Champions League, the World Cup. Uh, I don't believe he's ever ref in the Premier League, but that's probably why he's so good. Um, he's very experienced, again, was uh, given the honor of refing in the World Cup final 2022. And that's kind of what you want at center back, you know, big rock at the back, somebody you can rely on. And at CDM, <clears throat> I have Paul Tierney, mm. who has a very tenacious refereeing style. He's given out the most red card, uh, yellow cards this season by a lot. 
like per game it's like it's pretty it's like he's got like 0.15 more than all the referees which is a lot of the yeah. course of the season um yeah it, he he is very he is no nonsense very tenacious is n- very quick to give out a yellow for anything talking back um scuffles studs challenges uh hard challenges professional fouls very quick to give yellows that's the way he likes to referee the game stick him in cdm and at center mid widely considered one of the best premier league referees of all time michael oliver lots of experience highly respected no nonsense gets the call right most of the time and that's who you want in the center very reliable player first name on the team sheet michael oliver not much more to say and then at cam you got the experienced martin atkinson not a lot of fouls per game so he likes to hands off he enjoys to watch the game he lets them play he lets the boys mm-hmm. play you know and that's what you want at camp. You, you just a love of the game. Very, <clears throat> he sees the game, but he's very analytical, and he lets it play on. Whether that's good or bad, who knows? But very well respected. A lot like Michael Oliver. A lot of, you know, you love him or hate him. You respect him. Martin Atkinson retired, I believe. He retired last year. Yeah, a lot, a lot of big referees retired last and season. Then it, <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, Mike Dean, right? Yeah, Mike well. Dean, John Moss, too. Has, also has a place. Retired last year. You'll be surprised, has a yeah. place in this team. <laughs> At right wing, Pierluigi Colina, upon researching referees, <laughs> is was named the world's best referee five times in a row from 98 to 03. So, a standout referee. Ballon d'Or of referee yeah. winner. Five times. Um, so he's kind of that solid, like Mo Salah winger who you just, the whole team runs through him because he's just, he's, he's that guy mm-hmm. you want to give, you want to give out uh, a world cup final or something like that from 98 to 03. It's this guy. Yeah. Ref the 2002 world cup final. There you go. Ethan knows more <laughs> than I do. And at left wing, it's not other than Mark Clattenburg. He is a crazy <laughs> player. He's like, in, as a, as a Premier League player, he would be wild. <laughs> Like the like the Wilfred Zaha almost, just like off the field. I I didn't even realize I was just looking for a place to put Mark Landberg because I want him in this team. I was doing research on him. Here's a couple of Mark Landberg stories you may not have heard. In October 2014, Clattenburg was put on leave for one week following a Crystal Palace game for phoning manager Neil Warnock and for traveling from the fixture alone, which is not supposed to happen. You're supposed to travel. You're not supposed to talk to the the managers after the game, and you're also supposed to travel with the other referees back to the Premier League headquarters or whatever. Um, That's like a Premier League rule and has been forever. Clattenburg's reasoning was that he was attending an Ed Sheeran gig later that day. (laughs) (laughs) On August 5th, 2022, not too long ago, he was appointed as president of the Egyptian Referees Committee in order to improve the performances of local referees. On January 24th, 2023, a mere four months later, for those counting, he resigned from his position and left Egypt due to threats from fans of Zamalek SC President Mortada Mansour, alleged, who alleged that he was in a gay relationship in addition to unpaid 32k a month salary for the last two months. That was just three months ago, folks. And that's why he is being stuck at left wing. Very radical, well respected. <laughs> like he, he's, he's, he's managed some big games. He's scored no. some big goals. 20, in in refer- twenty sixteen, like yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure he refed FA Cup and Champions League final. Basically, yeah. did like a 
a double pretty much. I mean, that's like that's like <laughs> the peak of yeah. refereeing. So and then he got he sold out to the, the Saudi Arabian League <laughs> after the Premier League and he got kicked out of Egypt for being gay, potentially. So <laughs> he's all over the place. But that's your left winger, Mark Lattenberg. And that striker. Who else but Mike Dean? Ambitious, not afraid to make the game-altering call. Big man will puff his chest. He's celebrated goals before, yes. so he's got it in him. I don't know if you've if, if you've ever seen this, the clip but of look the up Spurs Mike goal. Dean celebrates goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look up Mike Dean celebrates goal, and you'll be <laughs> surprised at what you find. Um, so he celebrated goals before. He's he's a fan of the goal, so he's sticking match striker. The big man likes to puff his chest, likes to point the finger at himself when it comes to the game, which is not advisable <laughs> when you're a referee. Usually, you're supposed to be yeah. as little part of the game as you can. He is the opposite. Love him or hate him, you watched, and that's all you could do. Mike Dean at striker. On to you, Ethan. That's my eleven. Yeah, uh, you'll fantastic eleven, by the way, and you'll come to find that we had a lot of similar ideas, <laughs> if not, if oh, not sure. exact I'm positions, sure. but you know, the the idea behind a lot of the picks, you'll see, and you'll see it immediately because my first pick, starting in goal, is John Moss, and I guess we. We only differed sure. on which position was where you put the worst player. Not necessarily <laughs> the worst player, but John Moss is just like one of the Sunday league keepers where he's just like the oldest, like slowest guy. Sure. He can't really play in the field. Yeah. His legs are gone. It kind of just had the stick <laughs> of a goal. Yeah. Neither of us are big John Moss fans. I think he retired last year. Definitely should have retired a couple of years before that. Yeah. Better off. So yeah, John Moss is starting in goal. And at center back, I have Pierluigi Colina. Uh, I knew a bit more about him uh, prior to this Irrelevant 11s. Sure. He is probably the undisputed GOAT referee. Like you said, six-time uh, referee of the year award winner. Six consecutive years. Definitely just, you know, Leo Messi. I mean, it's like the Ballon d'Or, basically. So, <laughs> And also just yeah. notorious for just taking absolutely zero nonsense. Just a pure enforcer. I've seen, like, clips of him literally sure. just, like, not, like, headbutting, but, you know, when, like, players go, like, Head to head, like what Jaka did yesterday yeah, with yeah, like yeah. Trent. He's done that with players. Yeah. Like he doesn't take any shit from anybody, <laughs> and people respect him for that. So Damn. definitely not someone you want to be standing across as a striker. And so for my other center back, I have gone with Constantine Hatsidakis, whose name you may recognize <laughs> after the. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> slot him in right, right away I mean, I mean he's a wonder kid really I know he doesn't have much experience but you just <laughs> you, you can't argue with the talent um yeah not a, also not a guy you want to come up against um I mean obviously if you don't recognize his name he's the assistant who you know elbowed Robertson in the neck <laughs> uh but besides <laughs> that like if you actually like look at him the dude is absolutely jacked this is the most jacked referee oh I've my ever god seen. i got i gotta tell you a story. <laughs> all right go ahead <laughs> so like what's it called so uh whatever mm-hmm. I, I was watching the arsenal Liverpool bar uh game at the at the copenhagen arsenal bar packed to the brim shoulder to shoulder like 80 guys in there sweaty smelly whole night and whatever halftime comes it's two one arsenal some good spirits uh, and then like the they show like they don't see they don't show the exact Robertson mm-hmm. Constantine moment, but we see it at halftime and we're all like, whoa, oh my god, what was that? And then like after the break, they show Constantine, they show like Robertson 
and they, they start explaining it again and they, they cut to Constantine and everyone's like oh shit yeah no like <laughs> they showed him like walking out like this like buff as shit and everyone's like oh yeah sure like <laughs> like everybody like let out a chuckle they're like oh yeah that's why he's like clearly hopped up on testosterone or horse placenta or whatever he's drinking like of course he helped whatever like Andy Robertson yeah no so we can both agree this is just a massive individual. He's got to body you off the ball. Apparently, he did, like, swimming and, like, rugby, um, like, as a kid. So, no surprise there. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I research, saw, like, huh? an article that came out after. And I was like, who is this dude who just elbowed one of the best left backs in the league? <laughs> All right. So, anyway, moving on to right back. I have Philip Dermott. Um, not a very recognizable name. And that's because he, too, is an assistant. And I just felt like... For the right back position, I should have an assistant referee just because they run up and down the defensive sure. wing all game. So it just felt natural. Um, Can't believe I didn't think of that. Why I chose Philip Dermott? Um, I feel like I remember there being like a Newcastle fullback named like Paul Dermott or Mick Dermott. I don't know. I just chose him. Anyway, but the second one, we pretty much had an uncanny pick, and that is Lee Mason at left back. Pretty much the same reason. You had, um, yeah, I mean, we both remember the, uh, the incident, the VAR incident, the Brentford Arsenal game, just forgetting to draw the lines. I feel like so often you see more, more, more often left backs. I feel like than right backs just completely losing their marker. Um, Anthony Robinson a lot. Yeah. Uh, unless you try it. I remember in the, uh, in the game against Arsenal and in the world cup when Denzel Dumfries literally just sipped tea at the yeah. back post finished and then oh, <laughs> stuck yeah, in true. the volley to make it three, one. <laughs> so Lee Mason rounding out the defense at left back. And then at center defensive mid, I have Andre Mariner. Uh, Andre Mariner is kind of the Sergio Busquets of this team because neither guys really rely on their pace and they don't have any real like X factor to their game, but both of them are just, Calm as you like under pressure, and that's what you want from a defensive midfielder. Andre Mariner, you know, he's not getting into tackles very often, but, you know, he's not losing the ball. And he also just likes to facilitate play. He doesn't slow the game down much. He doesn't call it a lot. He's just very chill, very calm, you know, not really getting in the headlines much. So a respectable guy to play the number six role. Then at center mid, who undoubtedly my favorite pick and probably the most recognizable referee in this entire 11 it's Mehmet Yildiraz <laughs> <laughs> I had to put him in this 11 <laughs> well um, done any, well done <laughs> any long time FIFA players will know I know he's not been in the recent games because they've actually got like licensed referees but if you've played FIFA between FIFA rest 15 peace, and Mehmet. 19 yeah rest in peace um, everybody will know this absolute legend if you want a box-to-box midfielder, you need someone with endurance. And Mehmet Yield there, I mean, he's refereed billions of, of FIFA <laughs> matches. Um, he's got a lot of miles on his legs. And uh, arguably, he's the worst referee on this list, if you ask <laughs> a FIFA fans. <laughs> Definitely the most heavily criticized. But, you know, he took it all on the chin. And you just have to salute his career because it was, it was legendary. Yeah. So just got to respect that. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> And moving on to center attacking mid, it's a 4-3-3 formation. I've gone to Howard Webb, who has had his name in the headlines a lot because he is the head of the PGMOL, so he's been doing a lot of rash for the escapologies. Uh, <coughs> uh, so he quite literally you know, dictates the game from a refereeing perspective. 
Uh, he's the guy who all the referees are looking to when you need the, you know, game-changing play in a sense. Uh, you know, need somebody to, you know, curb public opinion, just soften the blow. He's your guy, and he's also just a legendary referee in itself. Ref the 2010 World Cup final, even though he made a howler of a decision when he <laughs> only let a he let Nile Jiang off with a yellow card for a kung fu kick that was. That's now been banned in like 78 countries. <laughs> <laughs> Not a legal UFC move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on to right wing. And it's a man who just had to be in the 11. It's Mike Dean. Uh, <laughs> wingers are flashy players. They're entertainers. And who has more flash and entertainment X factor than Mike Dean? He is the showman of all showmen amongst referees. You've already mentioned it. I don't have to get too much into it, but likes to make themselves the center of attention. If there were any sort of soccer game where somebody was coming just to watch a referee, it would be <laughs> it would be Mike Dean. So enough said there. <laughs> left wing, you've got Paul Tierney. Uh, you want your left winger to facilitate play, and that's exactly what Paul Tierney would do, at least based on what I saw in the Arsenal-Liverpool <laughs> match, because he was not calling a lot. And while yeah. I disputed most of his decisions yesterday and yelled a lot of obscenities towards him, I can't argue with the fact that he did let play go on most of the time, and he did help produce what was one of the most entertaining games of the season for a neutral. So definitely somebody you want to come out and see. And then at striker. It is Michael Oliver. I'd say the Killian Mbappe almost of referees. Somebody who has potential to be an all-timer, but undoubtedly one of the best referees of his generation right now. Uh, he's proven himself in the league, the Champions League, and the World Cup level. Uh, no referee is perfect, and almost none are actually liked, but he's about the closest you'll get. He doesn't make a ton of controversial decisions. He gets the big games. He usually performs well. So. Michael Oliver, starring striker, just Mr. Reliable. He's going to bat goals for days. Yeah. That, uh, well done. The Mehmet, Mehmet Yildirez, that'll go down in history. <laughs> One of the all-time irrelevant 11 <laughs> moments. Like that, you pulled that out of your ass. I got to give you respect for that. <clears throat> yeah, I just like, as soon as you said it, I just had this like, crazy yeah. like Corey in the house like eye flash moment where, yeah. where it's like <laughs> Mehmet Yildiraz who's watching <laughs> yeah anyway no. yeah. fantastic <laughs> another fantastic episode <laughs> installment should I say of Irrelevant 11s and with that we'll round out the podcast for this week match week 31 coming up next week time for the run in eight games to go three points if City win separate the top two so all yep. to play for certainly that bottom six tight as well i will be watching Ethan will be watching we know you will be too and with that we'll say goodbye adios see ya <laughs>